I had to wait two years from that first year of making wine to have wine to be able to sell. So there was a long process of getting this all going. Since I'm doing natural wine, I'm trying to do as little as possible to the wine and leave the flavors of the wine up to those natural processes. So I'm trying to do low intervention winemaking and not add anything to it. Most of my sales are at farmer's markets, which are like a great incubator for small businesses. Bitcoin sales are not a huge part of my business, but they're the thing that gives me energy to do all the stuff that I don't like because it's so fun for me to do Bitcoin sales. If a customer pays me in Bitcoin, they're paying me their hard-earned sats, a real money that they actually value into the future and they're willing to spend it on my product. That's awesome. Welcome to the third episode of Stacking Sats, my new series devoted to sharing the stories of real people using Bitcoin products and services to stack sats. Today's episode features Ben Justman, a Colorado winemaker who has stacked over 10 million sats for selling his all-natural Peony Lane wines using Oshi and Ibex Pay. Before we get into today's episode, this show is sponsored by Voltage. Voltage is the premier provider of Bitcoin and Lightning Node infrastructure. This show is also sponsored by Stackwork. Stackwork is a lightning-powered transcription tool that takes the best of AIs and humans to create better, faster, and less expensive transcripts. You can learn more about Voltage and Stackwork by clicking the links in the show notes. Ben, welcome to the third episode of Stacking Sats. Thank you for joining me. I cannot wait to hear about how you're stacking sats at Peony Lane Wines. But before we get into that, why don't we step back and give listeners a little bit of perspective. Tell them about your life prior to Bitcoin. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for having me here. I'm excited to chat. My life before Bitcoin. Hmm. Um, I start like grew up on a self-sustaining farm. So my parents' goal was to grow all their own food. And so spent my summers working in the vineyard, working on the farm all the time. Um, and then got out of, of high school, went to college, studied geology and traveled, ski bummed, and then tried to make a career as a geologist and realized that that was not, not the move. Um, after college, I guess in pertaining to Bitcoin, I got really into personal finance in the fiat world, not like trying to be a big investor or anything, but just like, let's just set a, a stable foundation. You got your index funds, you got your retirement account, um, savings account with high, high interest. Um, so that was a, that became a hobby of mine, but quickly in trying to become a geologist, I realized there was no career path for me. And I realized that I was a bit more entrepreneurial. So I started a couple little almost side hustles, but uh, sticker companies that didn't go anywhere. Um, and I was kind of looking for something to commit to something to, to build like to do as like my thing for my life. And my dad had been making wine as a hobby for 10 years or so. And so I having never made wine felt like that was the lowest hanging fruit for me was to start a winery. So in 2019, I kept my geology job and started a winery on the side. Um, 
wine making is kind of a one time a year thing. It's really intense during that time of year. But once the wine is in barrel, you can touch it, mess with it once every six weeks kind of deal. So I was able to get the winery started while working as a geologist. And then a year into that, I quit the geology job, moved back to Western Colorado and built a house with my dad that I'm living in now. And then um, coming up on, on going into my third year of having the winery was when I first started selling wine. So I had to, I had to wait two years from that first year of making wine to have wine to be able to sell. So there was a long process of getting this all going. And during that, within that, I, I found Bitcoin and started diving into that after um, my kind of foundation in the in the fiat finance world where um, my savings account was giving me 2% interest to um, cover what I thought was inflation, CPI. And when when the Lynn Alden talks about the the repo rate rate spike in 2019, basically interest rates went down to zero on bank accounts, and that was my floor getting swept out from under me moment. So I started looking, and um, I ended up moving in with a Bitcoiner and found Bitcoin, and it's just been kind of a perfect marriage: low time preference business with the wine to uh, low time preference money. Walk me through that process of making wine, because I think there's a lot of listeners who have no idea, including myself, how wine is actually made. Um, you mentioned it takes a couple of years. Can you walk through the process from like planting the vineyard to actually putting wine into a bottle? How long does that take? And how what kind of lessons have you learned along the way in you know scaling up this business? Because that's pretty impressive to have gone from coming up with this idea in 2019 to now four years later, you know, fully being immersed in this as a, as a full-time thing. Yeah. So I got, like I said, I, I was um, kind of set up to succeed in that. My dad had a, had a vineyard that was producing, it was planted in 2004 and all the gear for a hobby winemaker, which was enough to get me started. So I've been scaling up ever since, but if you're really starting from the point of I'm going to plant a vineyard and start a winery and grow and make wine from that vineyard. It's like seven or eight years, realistically. So your first three to four years, you're not really getting a crop in the vineyard. You're just planting it, letting the grapes grow. And yeah, you get, you get no grapes. So that's um, realistically four years before you get your first crop. If everything goes well, which it's farming, so it doesn't really. And then maybe on that fourth year, you make your first vintage of wine. And then you're waiting two years to sell it. I, in my opinion, all wine is different. White wines go, go faster than red wines. Some white wines, you'll, you'll make it and then sell it six months later. For me, I'm not trying to sell wine younger than two years old. So the actual winemaking process is I, I pick the grapes. I crush them and destem them. So then I have generally crushed um, crushed grape grapes with the, the juice and the, the stems are primarily separated and that ferments for two weeks. I do a natural fermentation. So the yeast that lives in my vineyard is what ferments them. I don't add anything. Most wineries will add a commercially grown or lab grown yeast. You get a bit more um, 
probably consistent product. You're more able to say like, this is what's definitely going to happen. Where mine, I leave it up to nature. I leave it up to a bit more faith, but I think you get a lot more of an interesting flavor in the wine and you can't replicate that process with anything but the wild yeast that live in my vineyard. So it's a very, this is the sense of place that's into my wine along with the grapes, obviously. So that ferments for two weeks and then I press the wine into barrels. And once it's in barrels, my life gets a lot easier. I don't have to um, manage it every day like I do when it's fermenting. It turns into about once every four to six weeks, I go in and I top off the barrels. And then once or twice a year, I then I pull all the, the wine off the barrel, clean out the barrel because all those dead yeast cells, um, a bit of like macerated grape skins settle to the bottom just to find it, to, to clean it out. Um, but since I'm doing natural wine, I'm trying to do as little as possible to the wine and leave the flavors of the wine up to those natural processes. So I'm trying to do low intervention winemaking and not add anything to it. A lot of people don't really understand how much is added to wine in the winemaking process. Um, you know, most, most things in the world, it's someone makes them, but wine is this special product where it's like, as long as I'm kind of just a steward, like a shepherd almost, I just put it in the right spots throughout the process. The wine makes itself. I don't have to do anything. And I get, a, a, I think, a better product, at least a more interesting product. And that's that's some magic. And it's a, such a unique thing. Like, I mean, there's so many, so few beverages that are like, or so few things in the world that it's like, just literally just like put it in the right spot and everything will go its own way. And so I'm trying to leave that up to up to nature and um, that's that's a fun part of wine. So so I bottle it after a year in the barrel and then I've noticed a huge change in flavor that uh, for a full year that getting to that second year of age a, a full year in bottle. Um, I had a wine that I thought had like a little bite to it. It wasn't quite up to my levels of expectations and that bite just disappeared over time so wine just like we all hear wine gets better with age right but this was a visceral experience i'm trying this wine the exact same wine every single week and it got so much better specifically right around two years so that is just like a test case of like look i need to be at a spot where i have wine that is two years old before I sell it. Because if you buy a bottle of wine and you don't like it, you're not buying another one to be like, oh, well, is it good in two years? You know, you're just never going to buy it again. So if the product keeps getting better with age, you've got to find a spot where it's like, okay, cool. This is the initial point. I know it'll get better, but we got to sell it at some point. And so that creates, it makes it hard to start the winery, obviously, because at a certain point, you got to start selling wine. And if you sell out and you have that next vintage, it's already in bottle, it's already all labeled, you could start selling it, but you really want to wait for two years. So there's a lot of patience involved, a lot of just taking your time and, and really the focus is a good product and that's all that matters. Yeah. I'm hearing a lot of similarities between the way, you know, you're running your, your operation and the way Bitcoiners think about, you know, you mentioned low time preference. Um, I hear it in the way you talk about uh, letting nature run its course. 
And, you know, I think, I think about the parallels between Bitcoin and winemaking, where you're taking this approach of letting nature do its thing. You're not afraid of the volatility that comes with nature and the different flavors that come in to play, but other commercial producers may be trying to like weed out that volatility, make that product, you know, uh, it's make a product that cannot be differentiated. It's like almost like a commodity product and it's like a stable, you know what you're going to get kind of product. And I look at the, I look at the Bitcoin and fiat financial system and I see a similar architecture there where Bitcoiners are kind of like willing to handle this volatility. We understand there's upside to be gained from some of this volatility and the fiat financial system is like set on trying to eliminate volatility at all costs until of course it, it uh, escapes the system. And um, you know, as we've seen causes ruin for people. Um, so I, I like that. I like that approach. And I think that's a really interesting one. Are there any other parallels you see between Bitcoin and winemaking or, or agriculture in general? So where, where my head's at with you, with you bringing that up, that's a, that's an awesome point is there is volatility year to year. And um, the only kind of volatility I really want to avoid is the black swan event. The, the gear that like something really goes wrong and that fermentation destroys like that natural fermentation. And I, I'm just like leaving my faith up to destroys my crop. Um, that is, only time I would want to intervene, but even then, like, I don't know if I, if I really could once I noticed that. Um, so it kind of is leaving it up to market forces, which in my world is natural forces and the volatility that you're, that you're discussing when it comes to Bitcoin, the parallel is year to year quality. So if I'm getting my grapes out of the same vineyard every year, we talk about, um, like, oh, that vintage was insane. That was really good. You have generally vintages that are going to be insane. You have your kind of standard most years, and then you have vintages that are just okay. And it's the volatility that makes for the awesome highs. And that's what you remember. Um, the, the bad years kind of almost make the great years awesome because you know how amazing it is and you really cherish that, that time. So if you're, trying to manipulate everything, if you're trying to just keep things the same year to year, you have so much less fluctuation and you have like no awesome special highs. And yeah, that's, I don't know, that's not exciting. Like I, I generally, yeah, you always want to search for that high level. And once you find it, you never want to leave, but that's not life. Like that's just not how things go. So to me, it's, it's not a realistic way to run things because there's highs and lows in life. And if I'm letting things go naturally, there's, there's highs and lows in that. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Okay. Let's get into uh, your process of once you have wine ready to go in a bottle, how do you then sell it to a customer? Walk me through what you're doing right now and walk me through when you first started accepting Bitcoin. What, what has that process been like? So starting out, I'm, like I said, I invested so much deep into it to be able to even get to this point of being able to sell wine. So I'm working to build up a capital base to be able to open up my own um, brick and mortar location for wine tastings and stuff. 
So in the meantime, most of my sales are at farmer's markets, which are like a great incubator for small businesses. I get tons of people that are looking to support locals, looking to support young entrepreneurs, um, coming around, looking to taste local wines. Um, the, the farmer's markets are just, they've been a great uh, sales venue for me. And just in the last year or so, my online sales have started picking up. And those online sales started picking up around the same time that I started accepting Bitcoin for sales. And so I started out with that as like, I'm a Bitcoiner. I'm just going to put up, screw it. I'm going to put up a sign that says Bitcoin accepted here at my farmer's market stand. I doubt that I said, like maybe one person will buy with Bitcoin. And for the most part, that's that's been true for the random interactions. Um, people do like know who I am. They come out and they they seek me out to buy wine with Bitcoin in person if they're in the area for sure. Um, but for the most part, I was like, look, I'm not going to make sales with this. So I just want to be a touch point. I want to be that successful business, that farmer that is like, look, Bitcoin is a positive thing for the world. Associate it with me, not with crime, not with all this other stuff that you're that you're fed. So mostly I got like two girls walking down the street, and be, like nudging each other and be like, oh, my God, we should tell your brother. Look, he accepts Bitcoin. Um, but every once in a while, a random person walks up and is like, you accept Bitcoin? Like, yeah, I'm a Bitcoiner. They're like, oh, my God, this is amazing. It's just like we're both fired up. It's a really amazing interaction. Um, and it kind of lightens, like gives me energy for the rest of the day. So honestly, like Bitcoin sales are not a huge part of my business, but they're the thing that gives me energy to do all the stuff that I don't like because it's so fun for me to do Bitcoin sales. And so Bitcoiners are disparate. And so being able to accept Bitcoin for online sales was super big for me. So I partnered with Oshi, a online Bitcoin marketplace, and you can buy my wine for Bitcoin there. Unfortunately, I'm dealing with issues. There's um, compliance companies that I use for selling wine across state lines because I don't have the resources to get 50 liquor licenses or the, the patience to deal with that bureaucracy. So I use a, a partner partnering company. I have to pay them a percentage. Technically, I sell them the wine. They sell it to you because they have the license. Um, and there's very little competition in that space. So as much as I beg for them to allow me to accept Bitcoin, they don't and they're not willing to hear it. And so I'm kind of just waiting for disruption in that market a little bit more competition to be able to accept Bitcoin directly from my site. But Oshi has been a great partner in that. And it's totally boosted my online sales, which is, I mean, it's great. I don't do any marketing. It's its basically passive income for that. So so it's a bit of a mix, but mostly online right now. Uh, can you talk about the task of accepting Bitcoin payments either on chain or lightning? What is your, what is your makeup right now between the two? And when you think about your Bitcoin acceptance strategy over time, assuming you continue to see growth in the online space and you see more people coming up at farmers markets asking to ban Bitcoin, what are your what are your thoughts on where you go from here? So pretty much all lightning transactions, it doesn't, especially for online, it doesn't really make sense to wait for the confirmation and then be like, okay, cool, your transaction went through finally, or it didn't go through. Um, it is, yeah, it's so much easier for Lightning to work. That said, wine is a bit of, you know, it's a, it's a higher dollar product. So if you're spending $500 on wine, paying it with Lightning, I have heard people say that it, they've had issues with transactions going through, rarely. But 
I've never I've never had an issue with lightning. Um, that said, I think I think we're we've, we're growing in that way to make those slightly larger transactions a lot easier. Um, yeah, it just doesn't make sense for from a, a commerce perspective to do on chain. Like I'll accept it if someone's at the farmer's market and is like, yeah, I'll hang out for a few minutes um, to pay on chain. I'm just I can't really let you walk away with the wine until the the confirmations confirm and I and I get the Bitcoin, you know, um, and at a busy market, that's not like I got 10 people trying to talk with me and, and taste wine. So that doesn't really work all that well. I would say right now, maybe 5% of my sales are Bitcoin um, in a year up from zero. So um, that's, I guess, percentage wise, infinite growth. But uh, it's also... I would say most of my online sales that aren't Bitcoin are from Bitcoin people that are just looking to spend fiat. I totally understand not wanting to spend your Bitcoin if you have a taxable event there, if you just you have dollars and they're losing value and Bitcoin's gaining value. Like I, I totally get it. To me, the intangible benefits of spending Bitcoin are way greater than the like what your accountant would say it creates a deeper relationship like i said when those people come up to me and they're like hey you're a bitcoin or you accept bitcoin oh my god that's so cool um that is a that's a deeper relationship i also feel extremely valued in my like if if a customer pays me in bitcoin they're paying me their hard-earned sats a real money that they actually value into the future and they're willing to spend it on my product that's awesome so i feel super valued also if you're if you want Bitcoin to be accepted places, you kind of gotta spend it, because if you set up your your local store with Bitcoin accepted here and then they don't ever use that in three months, they're gonna get rid of it or forget how to use it. So, if you want to be able to spend Bitcoin places, you have to actually spend Bitcoin places. And it also I've had to teach people how to use Lightning, and I had to learn how to use Lightning stuff. Um, to be able to do this. So it's a great little education practice. Um, and it gives that business that you're trying to support like money that people can't fuck with. So you're giving the business that you care about a bit more support than just the val the, the monetary value. You're giving them better money. And you can do that as non-KYC Bitcoin. So um, they can have money Bitcoin that no one knows about. It's a great way to build a non-KYC stack is just accepting Bitcoin for goods and services. So um, lots of benefits there. I'm kind of like at 5% sales, I just keep it all. I, I huddle all the Bitcoin that it's just a savings account for me and my business. Um, I can do that. I have a high enough margin for it. If we get up to like a 5% is kind of, you know, whatever sales, it's it's great. But like it's not a huge amount. If we get up to like a real big amount of Bitcoin, I will probably have to start converting a portion of each sale into dollars because I need dollars to operate. And I don't want to deal with the taxable event of having to like choose every time I want to sell my Bitcoin. I just want it to be automatic. Um, and with IBEX pay, I can do that. So currently they get like five, let's say five people buy wine in a day through the Lightning Network. And so all those transactions go to IBEX through Lightning, and then they send me one on-chain transaction at the end of the day. And I can adjust the percentage of Bitcoin that that transaction gets sent to me. So if they want, if I want 
50% of that in dollars because it's such a huge part of my sales and I need dollars to operate. Um, I can do that instantly without having to think about it. I just never really want to be at a point where I sell Bitcoin. I'd rather just get paid less Bitcoin and buy it back whenever I have excess dollar savings. It's just kind of a mindset thing for me. It's easier to hodl all my Bitcoin through everything if I just never sell it. So um, it's a good problem to have to be getting too much Bitcoin, but I'm not there yet. Fair enough. Yeah, that, that is very interesting to think about how your Bitcoin allocation in the, the percentage of sales that are coming in Bitcoin is going to sway that you know decision about how much you keep and how much you spend. Because of course, everyone still today does have dollar denominated costs. Basically, every business is going to run into this issue. Uh, but that's very interesting that you're using Ibex to uh, get around that a little bit. Can you talk me through the, let's do a full rundown of your tools you're using today to stack sat. So you've mentioned Oshi and you've mentioned Ibex. How do those two work together? Are there any other tools involved in your online sales? Um, and then in person, what are you using? Are you just using a, a lightning wallet to, to accept payments or what does your tech stack look like there? So for online, Oshi is integrated, you know, with Ibex, it's just, it, um, I met both the Ibex people and the Oshi people the same day. So we got that all up and running and it's been great. Um, like I said, there's, there's the ability to scale when I, if I ever like need more dollars in those transactions so I can scale up my Bitcoin sales and not have to worry about it. Um, seamless works very well. I don't have a million lightning transactions coming in. So all the, like the one on-chain transaction is a, a slightly bigger UTXO, a little bit easier to manage at the end of the day. For in-person sales, um, I also use Ibex. It has a, they have a point of sale that I can use. So it's the same thing. Gall goes to my Ibex. They pay me at the end of the day for any of those sales. And the benefit it gives me is I can give that to an employee or just a friend helping out and they have no access to my Bitcoin and it's not like going to their wallet or anything. It's, this is an Ibex point of sale. You pay in lightning. It's all just, it's all there. It all goes to my Ibex account and my employees don't have any contact with my Bitcoin. So that's super great to have. I, if I'm doing it, you know, sometimes I'll send it to a wallet that I have on my phone, just, it, it depends, but for the most part, Ibex has just been a great partner with that. Okay, let's get into some numbers. Uh, I know you mentioned uh, during the show, you mentioned about 5% of sales are Bitcoin. When you think about the total, you know, sat stacked over the last year, what kind of numbers are you seeing on your side? Just to give some folks some uh, a rough guideline for if they're a merchant or if they plan to sell something, um, what kind of numbers they can expect. So here's, let me just set the background with where the position my Bitcoin is in, because I'm in an early stage where I'm growing um, and figuring out how big I want to be, all this different stuff. And I didn't accept Bitcoin that first year. So I'm one year in about to accepting Bitcoin, just about. Um, my first year of sales, 2021, I sold out of all my wine and I sold $28,000 of wine. The second year of sales, which is 2022, I did $110,000 of sales. I did, and I finally, this year coming in, I 
going into my big sales season, which is farmer's market season, June to through September, I now for the first time have wine that is two years old to sell. So not only do I have a little bit more of a foundation in my business, but I finally have that foundation and quality of my wine for the first time in the history of my business. So I'm looking forward to a lot of growth this year. Um, yeah. So I started accepting Bitcoin when we were at like 50, $60,000, $50,000 Bitcoin. Um, every time someone bought with Bitcoin, I'd joke with them and say, this is the most expensive bottle of wine you'll buy in your life. Cause like, I know it will in the long term, um, and I'm just looking to huddle stats at whatever price it is. So, if I did five percent of 110,000, that's that's five thousand dollars in in Bitcoin sales. Um, it, it could be close to ten. I'm kind of I'm kind of rough, at, rough estimating here, but that number, like the the Bitcoin price that I sold at, because it was all valued in dollars, it was not denominated in sats when I sold the wine. Um, has gone from fifty thousand all the way down to fifteen thousand dollar Bitcoin, now up to twenty nine thousand dollar Bitcoin. So, I stacked a lot of sats this uh, this Christmas season because I was selling a lot of wine for Bitcoin as Christmas gifts. Was my biggest sales month ever. Happened to be at the bottom of the bear market, so that worked out really well and helped me stack a lot of sats. Um, but yeah, it, you're a bit you know, dependent on the Bitcoin price um, as far as actually how many sats you're doing. But my Bitcoin sales in dollars at like at the, the price when the when the when the sale is done has been pretty consistent. I mean, I'm doing probably with zero marketing, like I said, probably um, 500 to 1000 a month in Bitcoin sales. Um, just just being out there, being on Oshi. So it's uh, it's fun to do. That's amazing. And then I'm sure as you continue to accept Bitcoin and as you see these numbers tick up, you're going to start catching the attention of all the other folks at the farmer's market and everyone else selling online, people in the wine industry, people in agriculture more broadly. Um, what, how do you kind of help them get on board? What, have you learned any lessons about how you can then you know, take your success, channel that into helping others also accept Bitcoin and boost their sales? Because even if it's only 5%, even if it doesn't even grow beyond that number, you know, if you walk around to every merchant and say, hey, I'll give you 5% more sales, they'll go, sure, sign me up, <laughs> right? Like it's it's 5%. It's not nothing. Mm -hmm. So the 5% sales does not come from just me accepting Bitcoin. It definitely comes from me building a, putting in the work and building a presence on Twitter, um, meeting people. Um, so I guess that's marketing budget. It's just, I don't spend money doing actual ads, but my marketing is just, I guess, shit posting on Twitter. People like it. Um, so I do marketing that way. And I don't think that just accepting Bitcoin boosts your sales by 5%, because like I said, in-person sales, maybe one a day, someone comes up, but for the most part, it's people that are like, be careful, you know, Bitcoin's down 50%. And you're like, dude. It's down 70%. Like, we're good. Uh, so you get a lot of negative pushback. And being someone that's like, oh, well, yeah, I accept Bitcoin. But like, I don't know anything about it. I just accept it. That negative pushback you already had. So you kind of got to just get to a point where you actually want to learn about it. You have to value Bitcoin to accept it and to continue accepting it. And you need people spending it to continue accepting it. So 
that's huge hurdles. And until someone like um, Square just ease, it's all integrated, you don't have to do anything until they have that um, all set up to go. And even then they probably just convert, the people would probably just convert it to dollars. So to get people to want to accept Bitcoin and then to hold Bitcoin instead of converting it to dollars is a huge step. And it's not something that I really think I can just talking to you get over the get across so it's going to take a full farmer's market season a full like couple of years to get people to want that and realistically it's like just it's number go up technology gets people curious as well and so i found that like if i'm comfortable being the bitcoin guy and i'm going to put myself out there as the bitcoin guy you come to me if you got bitcoin questions and i'm going to be loud and like it works for me and my business is successful and you see that and I'm the Bitcoin guy. And I just hope all those things meld together, give Bitcoin a positive light, make people think, make people be curious about it. So really all I can do to get people to want to learn about Bitcoin because it's on them to want to learn about Bitcoin is succeed as a business around them, in front of them as a Bitcoin guy. And just change that perception of Bitcoin to be like, no, if you accept Bitcoin, if you want Bitcoin, you will succeed and you will be like way stronger because of it. Instead of it being like, oh, no, it's a crazy speculative asset. Criminals use it. Uh, it's destroying the environment. Like, no, that guy has a successful business and he uses Bitcoin. I should use it, too. Mm -hmm. That's really well said. And I think you're right. There's a lot of people who don't hold Bitcoin and have this preconceived notion that it is used for illicit activity because that's what they're told and they don't see anything else to counter that narrative. There's no one else in their network accepting Bitcoin. So they just assume it to be true. Um, and so I, I 100%, I think that's very valuable to be the voice of, you know, positive reason here and say, I'm going to show you what Bitcoin can do here. It's, it's right here at this farmer's market and, uh, you can try it out and you can walk people through it. And, uh, I think that's really making a difference for folks. Um, I want to talk a bit about, you know, advice for other merchants. Anyone who's listening to this doesn't have to be a winemaker, doesn't have to be in agriculture, but anyone selling a product. Um, can you give them any advice on, you know, maybe things that you did early on that didn't work out? It could be related to your Bitcoin acceptance strategy. Um, any advice you have for merchants that are trying to grow their business and considering Bitcoin as an avenue uh, to do that? Yeah. So having being a small a small business, it's really hard to compete in anything that's commoditized. So I find that, and, and wine is a like this is all kind of from my wine lens, um, and why wine has just worked out to be a great product for the way I think about things is as a small business, it's way easier to market yourself if you have a premium product like why support local because it's better maybe you pay a little bit more but it's better and that's the re and you get all the intangible benefits of supporting local so i think when i talk to once again my lens is wine a lot of winemakers around here i'm always like why raise your prices there's so much fear to raising your price. You can always just lower it. You can do sales, can um, anything, but like there's so much fear to, oh my God, if I raise my price, it's 
it might not sell. Lower it back down then. You got to test it. Um, and especially with like the inflation that we're experiencing, people are just more receptive to prices going up. And so my pricing model is I have my baseline. I have my, this is like what most of my wine costs. It's all great quality. And then I kind of do some market testing within each within each product. And the stuff that is amazing that people just like love and buy at that lower price level, I'm like, okay, cool. The market says it's amazing. It's up here now. And as a Colorado winery, I'm fighting against all these forces of people don't know that Colorado wine exists. They're like, oh, it's not from California, Oregon, or these places that I've heard of. It's probably not good. Um, or they've just had a lot of bad Colorado wine because it exists. And so I kind of use my pricing model as a way of saying like, no, it's legit. The market says it's good. Oh, you don't think it's worth that cost? I don't care. I have a product that gets better with age. So if you don't buy it, I know someone else will in the future. Um, and that's why wine's the best product to, to have. But um, there's so much fear in having a high price. And I think having a high price, as long as you're comfortable with how much it sells, take the risk. And it's a signal that you have high quality. Because if you have high quality and you price it like low quality, people might not notice the difference. But it's kind of a perception game. It's a behavioral economics feel that if you have a if you have a higher price people respect that and my high prices are market proven this is better quality so it's worth it's actually worth it you know there's got to be something behind it it's got to be actually high quality but i find a lot of fear in small businesses wanting to test higher prices um let's just give it a shot i don't know it's kind of just like dip your toes and see how it goes and maybe no one will buy it you can always lower your price. That's a great point. And, you know, I, I see some similarities to what you're saying in the open source world with, with Noster and Bitcoin developers. There, there have been lots of discussions in the last couple of weeks about how Noster developers and Noster products are going to make money. Uh, mostly right now, no one's making money. Everything's kind of free. And there have been a couple of voices in the space urging people to go, you charge money, you know, try and try and make a living off this. If you're not going to be making a living, how can we expect it to succeed? You know, we can't, you can't invest all your time into it if it can't repay you a living. So uh, I agree, you know, not to be afraid of charging what you think it's worth. Um, there's always going to be people who disagree. There's always going to be people who agree. And that's, that's market forces at work and let those market forces do what they may, you know? Um, well, Listen, this has been an incredible conversation. I really enjoy hearing this perspective. I hope this gets more merchants excited about accepting Bitcoin for their business. Before you go, where can folks go to learn more about you and Peony Lane? Yeah, I'm posting every day on Twitter and Noster at Ben Justman. Um, a lot about wine, a lot about Bitcoin memes. And then my website for wine is peonylanewine.com p-e-o-n-y and i sell on oshi and oshi is a great spot for finding a ton of bitcoin businesses that all have really high quality products so um if you're looking to just see what's available for bitcoin break the stereotype that you can't use bitcoin anywhere uh, oshi is a great place to start one final question have you had any uh, noster sales yet 
yeah, I sold a couple bottles via Zaps. So um, I just posted, hey, this bottle, um, zap me this amount, and then slide into my DMs, and I'll ship it to you. And so, uh, you know, I set the, like, this is available for 24 hours, because if if Bitcoin price moves, I've set a sad, a sad amount, and I just, you know, don't want it to last forever. Um, also, um, if the Bitcoin price goes up, no one's going to pay me the equivalent of like $400 for a bottle of wine. But um, yeah, that's been really cool. And there's Bitcoin marketplaces, it seems like going up on Noster. My, like I said, my um, product is a little bit more difficult with the liquor regulations, but super cool to see the development there. And I'm trying to use it as much as possible because I think it's so cool. Uh, but I think a lot of uh, just a different a different product will will work way better there. If I can get the liquor re- regulations thing figured out, I'm all in on Noster. Amazing. So happy to hear that. And thank you again for taking the time to chat. Keep on stacking sats. Cheers.